the government would, would not be happy with us sharing our faith. Um, uh, some, uh, some drastic things could happen uh, to us. So, so we knew that. Um, and he began reading that Bible and just devouring it, really wanting to know Christ. And his father um, was not happy with that. A very strong, strict uh, Muslim took the Bible away, hid it from him. But this little boy, Oscar, he was just determined to find that Bible. He knew that his father would not have burned it. Some of our neighbors, one particular family, that good friend of ours, actually, the, it, usually in the morning, that's when the, uh, the, the, the truck for garbage come to collect garbage. And uh, one of our neighbors had come and poured their garbage in front of our uh, doorstep. Hey, everybody, want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host. I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, hey, I don't often mention that the website for that ministry is www.fruitfulvineministry.com. I'd uh, love for you to check that out. And also the Before You Quit podcast or uh, website with podcasts and blogs is www.beforeyouquit.us. All right, let's go ahead and jump into uh, the setup here for what we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm not going to give the names of the people who are uh, being interviewed today, and you'll know why. Uh, they work in a, uh, have worked in a closed country uh, where there's not the freedom to share the gospel. And I wonder sometimes, uh, and I was thinking about this after I was interviewing them, that uh, perhaps we take, I know I do, take for granted the uh, and appreciate what uh, people in closed countries have to go through, where they don't have the freedom like we do to share freely the uh, saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, most of us are aware that many believers from the U.S. and other nations are working in other places in the world, and they do so kind of undercover. Uh, if uh, the governments of those nations would know what they really do, uh, they would be kicked out, and that is, in fact, what uh, our story today is going to be about. Uh, we call these creative access countries, which means, uh, obviously, you have to be creative in how you work there, how you position yourself, how you sell yourself, but the real intent, of course, is uh, to connect with people with the saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, uh, of course, what's harder is for indigenous people, people from those countries themselves who become believers, who become followers of Jesus Christ, uh, it's much tougher for them because if they are caught, uh, sometimes they are persecuted, sometimes in prison, and, of course, in most extreme cases, they are, uh, they are killed, martyred for their faith. Uh, so today I'm going to be talking to Pierre and Chloe. Uh, that's not their real name, but they're going to tell us firsthand an account of what it was like to be caught preaching the gospel in a creative access country. And uh, with that story, too, they'll be sharing the amazing way that God reached them and brought them to faith and also brought them together. A phenomenal story. I mean, just again, uh, more evidence, not that we need it, but more evidence of the providence and the sovereignty of God and the way that he works and weaves his story in the lives of, uh, of people. Uh, so let's jump in right now, and uh, let me introduce to you Pierre and Chloe for this uh, Before You Quit podcast. <music> 
All right, I have on the other uh, side of uh, Zoom conferencing uh, two people that uh, we're not going to use their real names, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, but we're going to call him Pierre, and when you hear his accent, you'll know why we call him Pierre, and then Chloe, and uh, so good to have you both, Pierre and Chloe, with, uh, with us on the Before You Quit podcast today. Hey, Mitch, how are you? Good, good. Thank you for doing this. (laughs) All right. Well, those who know you know who you are just by listening to your voices or or will, especially when uh, Pierre starts talking. Uh, But uh, again, we we understand the the need to be cautious. And that really leads up to the topic here. We're uh, mainly going to be talking here about the danger of the gospel that, uh, you know, I think in some sense we take for granted here in our uh, in our culture in America uh, that what we consider risks of the gospel is is so different than uh, others and uh, so I'm, I'm here to have you guys share your story and uh, so what, why don't we start with that uh, maybe Pierre tell us where you're from and uh, your story how you both met how you came to faith and I'd uh, love to love to hear from you yeah, it's quite a long story. So I'll try to be uh, to be short. But um, yeah, I was uh, born and raised in France. Um, no kidding, really. In a, <laughs> in, the, in a small town north of uh, north of Paris, mm-hmm. and uh, basically grew up in um, in a family that was you know, could consider itself as a nominal Catholics. You know, and maybe okay. they would. Um, my parents uh, would said that they are Catholics, but. Uh, would go to the church, you know, just for uh, weddings and funerals and, and things like that. So I uh, grew up in, you know, an environment that was kind of like free, you know, you, you believe what you want, you do what you want, uh, as long as it feels good to you, then it's fine and you're happy. So that's kind of the environment in which uh, I grew up. Chloe and I met uh, in, um, in 1992 when... Uh, uh, she came uh, on an exchange uh, program with her university. She wanted to be a French teacher, so she had to come to France for about a year. Was she in the same town as where you were? Yeah, what happened is that before, prior to go to the university to study in September, she wanted to be fully immersed in the culture, and she uh, was a nanny uh, in my little town there, uh, 3,000 people. And uh, when an American comes, to uh, to a small town like that, it's pretty, you know, quickly everybody knows about it. It's a novelty, so, isn't it? Yeah. It's a novelty. <laughs> the, the thing is that when um, we, you know, met the first week and we kind of uh, felt that um, we liked each other. And so we, we dated for about a year and a half and we were not believers. So, uh, uh, and, and that's, that's amazing how the Lord did you Did like, you know, Pierre, did you know English and did uh, Chloe, did you know... French by by this time. Well, I have to say that my English was not as good as her French. So we started our relationship on French, you know. And mm-hmm. I had studied uh, English in junior high and high school, and and uh, to be honest with you, it could not really uh, use English very well. So uh, mm-hmm. when I met her, I started to like English very a little bit more, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, she really taught me everything I knew. So Chloe, you came. You came from the states. You weren't a believer, uh, and I, I want to paint a contrast here uh, for you, Pierre. Uh, you you probably did not know believers, did you? 
I did not know believers. I did not know anything about the Bible. I did not know who Jesus was. I was totally clueless about Amazing. Christianity. Yeah. Well, and I cannot wait to to talk about how you were uh, exposed to that. Uh, for for you, Chloe, what was your your familiarity with Christianity? You weren't a believer, but what was your context coming right. from this? So yeah, so I was born in the good old Midwest, and. Uh, um, kind of a difficult background where um, I had my grandmother and my great-grandmother. They were very strong believers. Um, we would go to church, I remember, when I was, when I was young, but um, just due to some very difficult circumstances in my family, um, just really stopped kind of early on going to church. My mom, you know, didn't really talk about God. So it wasn't something that was a part of our lives by any means. I did have, though, my very best friend from age uh, six up, up through high school, who was a very strong believer. And from time to time, she would invite me to church. But I, I really, it wasn't for me. I just really didn't want anything to do with it. Um, I wasn't searching. Um, I didn't feel like I needed God in my life. Um, although maybe there was something in me that wondered if that was true, but uh, there was just no curiosity or any desire. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't until I went to France when I was 19. Um, I loved France. I loved the French culture. I fell in love with the language when I was nine, when I first started studying it in my grade school. And so I just desired to be a French teacher and that's what took me over there. Um, but uh that year when we met, uh, it was interesting because we met that first week, but we never talked about God for the first two years that we knew each other and, and we dated. So it wasn't until a second time when I went back to France when I was 21. So when uh, Pierre and I, when I went back after that first year studying, when I went back to the, to the States to finish my studies, we actually broke up on very bad terms, no communication between mm. us. And then I returned to France when I was 21. And that year, oddly enough, um, one day when I was uh, doing groceries, uh, just shopping, someone handed me a Bible on the streets in France. And in France, amazing. In France, yeah. <laughs> oh. And I was, I was teaching in a very small communist village down in the south of France, um, was really struggling just to make friends and to be accepted as an American teaching um, English in this high school. And I was very, very alone. And I kind of looked at that Bible and just thought, you know, I might as well read it. I've got nothing to lose. So just started reading it kind of from from the beginning where I start books and just began um, being very intrigued by a story of a, of a God who loved his people and really pursued them. And that's where I just started questioning and seeking, wow, is, is this God real? Especially when I came to the part where he was referred to as father. Um, mm. My dad had left when, when I was two mm. and I'd always searching for my father. So that began my quest uh, to to know God and to find Him as a father. It's it's just a it's a remarkable story, uh, Chloe. Maybe you're it's so familiar to you, you don't uh, appreciate how it sounds. But to to you know leave America where it's saturated with Christianity, your family are Christ, many in your family are are at least familiar with Christianity, and you go there, someone hands you a Bible, and uh, so for you, Pierre, it, your coming to faith also came about by. Well, having an encounter with the scriptures, right? That's right. <clears throat> that's right. So I have to explain that, and we'll tell how your two worlds came back together again. Right. Well, um, 
the Lord really used a, uh, an event that was quite dramatic in my life. Um, um, I lost somebody that I dearly loved, was my um, grandfather on my father's side. And um, I was very close to him. So I started to ask myself questions about life in general and uh, you know, the purpose of life. And, and so kind of uh, existential questions, basically. Um, and I, you know, the day of uh, his funeral, I just was pounding those questions, looking at his tomb. And one of the things that came to my mind was the Bible. And so I, um, I remember that my mom kept uh, a little Bible in her bedroom that was actually way back from when she was young and she uh, went at some point in her educational, uh, journey, she was educated by nuns. And so she had kept her Bible, with, which was Catholic Bible, with the Psalm and the four Gospels. So I took that Bible and went and make sure that nobody saw me, went into my uh, bedroom and started to read the Gospel. Um, and it was just an amazing thing that I've never had read. Uh, it was all fresh. And I think... Uh, you know, it's in, in God's sovereignty, um, I, I would say, quote, that uh, he spared me from any uh, previous uh, teaching from some other, uh, you know, some other religion that it was all fresh. When mm -hmm. I started to read the word, it really touched. And what the, the thing that happened is that um, I started to understand that maybe after death, there was something. And mm. it started to make a, some, some intellectual sense that maybe why not? And then little by little, as I was reading the stories about Jesus um, and, and, and his life and his miracle and the way he treated people and the way he was uh, so gracious with people um, and his love really for people, it started to touch my heart. How do, you, how do you make sense of the fact that, I mean, I, I'm quite familiar with the spiritual context in France. It's what, like 0.5% that are uh -huh. probably less than a percent yep. you know, who, who really understand the gospel, have embraced mm -hmm. it. And, and I, I've heard maybe you can help me to be a little bit more refined on this, but if someone wants to meet a Christian in France, they have to knock on uh, how many doors? I don't know if you're familiar well, with that. Well, there are some uh, statistics that have been uh, published by the uh, French Evangelical um, Association that right now, um, and I, you know, I think the uh, statistics date back to 2016, I think, or something like that. I'm not sure about the date, but there is one church for 300,000 people. Amazing. So to be able to knock on uh, the door of a church that proclaimed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you got to have to go a long ways. Um, in, in my in my village, um, if I would, you know, I, I, there was no evangelical churches around that I could go and 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 start attending. I would have to go to Paris, which would have been about an hour away, you know, mm -hmm. to be able to uh, to worship with other uh, believers. So. Yeah, so I must leave you in awe when you you mentioned God's sovereignty. Right, right. Somehow he 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 allowed for yeah. you to have that experience, and it, it's not the norm 
Right. It's right. That we can honestly I, say that every French person has this opportunity and most reject right. it and you did right. not. It's, it's larger. At the, at the same time, um, I was uh, often say that the French is in a spiritual vacuum. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, the statistics are like 50 to 60% of people will say that they're atheists or at a minimal, I mean, you know, saying that they're agnostics. Uh-huh. Um, and so there, there's a spiritual vacuum that um, it, even though there, there's, no, there's no answer right now, you know, and, and as, I, as we said, uh, you know, you have to go a long way to be able to meet a, a Christian or somebody that will give you a Bible. Um, there's questions that those people have. Uh-huh. And, and so I think God is using this to be able to, uh, uh, to bring, you know, people to himself. And he, he used it. Uh, uh, with me and uh, through the power of his word, you know, that will never change that. Well, well, I love the drama of this. So I'll pause your story. Let's go back to Chloe. What was (laughs) happening with you as you were again, beginning to embrace uh, Christ and, and the gospel. And then how, how did you both connect again? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, you know, I started this quest that really lasted for a, probably about two months um, where I was just devouring that Bible that, you know, I'd received uh, on the streets there and um, not really fully understanding, but really desiring that it would be true. And I can remember um, sitting alone in my apartment praying, but I didn't know how to pray, you know, but I was just saying, God, if you're there, I I want to know you. I, I want you to be real. And I really desired that this father would be real. And um, I don't know what kind of sign I was looking for, but I just remember at one point, one morning I woke up and I was just angry and uh, um, kind of drew a cross on my quest and said, God doesn't exist. And anyway, Mm. came home that day from teaching um, and had a cassette that uh, someone had sent me from the States. Um, Actually, my mom had sent me of a testimony of a friend because my mom had come to Christ just before I left for France um, that second year. And so I listened to that story and I knew that that was part, part of the answer. And that's a Mm. long story, but um, I obviously was kind of in this quest alone at this point, Pierre and I had no communication, no contact uh, between each other. He knew that I was back in France, but that was about it just through a mutual friend And um, I was very close to his grandfather. I loved his grandfather, the one who died. And so Pierre found through this mutual friend a way to contact me. And he just called and let me know that his grandfather had died. And it was a very short conversation. And um, about a month later, I was heading back to the States. And I needed someone to help me get from the train station to the airport with my two pieces of luggage. It was in the good old days when we had two pieces of luggage. Um, I called Pierre and asked if he would... Would, uh, give me a ride and when he picked me up from from the train station uh, in the car he said I have to talk to you sometime about God and the Bible and I just remember my my mouth just dropped. So, so both this was happening to both of you at the same time? At the exact same time exact same time because his grandfather died uh, end of October and the day I just really embraced the truth of Christ was in November. And then this is December. So this is all happening within, you know, really, we were searching. He was up in the north of France. I'm down in the uh-huh. south of France. But 
uh, God obviously in his sovereignty had his hand upon us both. So uh, that began a whole dialogue in the conversation that just led to, wow, something amazing mm -hmm. is happening here and, and kind of began a, a spiritual friendship between us that, that grew back into a, a, a love bond that was really there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and Pierre, you were discipled by uh, an American international worker there, weren't you? That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Um, when I uh, actually, you know, just to, to give a, a very short, you know, uh, render of uh, how I came to the Lord is basically Chloe, basically Chloe went back to the U.S. and, and Christmas. And actually my parents didn't really like it because we were calling each other on the phone. It cost a lot of money for us because we were, we were, we were exchanging this, this thing, this new thing that we had found in the Bible and, uh, and this new faith. She, she, she went to, uh, to an evangelical a church in the United States and she found a, a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws. And uh, she said, well, uh, I need to translate that for Pierre uh, from English to French. And so she called me and she said, uh, Pierre, you know what's at stake? You know, we've been reading, we've been encountering Jesus. Either you believe who he says he is or you don't. And it was the most logical thing mm. that he was the Savior. He was the one that came. And that day, I, I just gave uh, my life to him. Mm. I, always, I always joke that uh, I had no idea how to lead anyone to Christ. <laughs> it was the easiest um, kind of sharing of the gospel with anyone. And it was, it was yep. just the smoothest process but, of someone coming to faith. Because after but, that, wow. we worked with Muslims, I, and it was not the same. If I can say, I'm a bit of a... Uh, you know, with all uh, due respect and without a pride that I'm kind of a, a product of the French. So it had to start with an intellectual understanding mm -hmm, sure. of some of the scripture to then go down into the heart. And that's mm -hmm. the, the process that the Lord has been using with me. And I think often used with French people as well. Uh, yeah. But then we, uh, we, she came back and we were both in Paris and we, kind of said, well, now we're Christians, you know, we're New Village. We've got to find a church to go and worship mm. uh, and fellowship with people. So we went on, you know, we did the church shopping and uh, uh, we were in, in, in Paris and uh, found a, an ad for a church called Hope International in Paris. We went there, very much international flair with people from all over the world. And uh, uh, the, the, there was a pastor, big, tall guy, uh, Ian, his name was, and, uh, and uh, started to uh, a great relationship, discipled me, uh, took me under his wing, uh, and really helped us to understand what is to be a disciple of Jesus and also understanding a, a calling on our life. Yeah, and that, uh, you know, again, I wish we could spend more time, you know, because it's so fascinating. Uh, again, I, I know your story, and I'm fascinated, again, hearing it. Uh, so that, that I, I like the fact that you, you set this up, that there was a, a, a sense of call. Uh, that led you, you, you were married, uh, obviously, shortly after that, and you, you then go back into, you know, your community and secular vocational work you had a sense of call to go into ministry so so talk talk about what happened there where it led you and then what we'll start doing is is just uh, discuss together uh your burden for for the muslims 
uh, the Muslim people, and um, and and then again, what we want to talk about is uh, again how that led you eventually to a very very difficult, costly ministry where uh, you found out. And again, we need to be reminded: a lot of people in the world live with the reality that to believe in Christ is is very costly. Uh, so yeah, pick up with that call and what happened? So yeah, the call um, actually started even before we got married. So just shortly after we found that church in Paris, um, I had been saving money to to go down to Africa. Um, had always dreamed of going down and um, visiting West Africa. And so I actually got the names of some missionaries through that church, Hope International. They mm. gave us the names of some workers down in um, Burkina Faso and Mali and Ivory Coast. So I went down there um, actually what first led me down there was meeting a, a Fulani woman, a Muslim woman. And that's really where the call mm. to not only missions, but specifically to the Muslim, Muslim people really started. Um, I met a woman, a Muslim woman from Burkina Faso in a store and we started talking and she said, I leave in a week to go visit my family. Why don't you come with me? And it was just one of those crazy situations. Um, mm. You know, here I am a 21 year old, uh, probably very naive. And uh, I said, sure. We exchanged numbers. And a week later I had my visa and uh, vaccinations and my airplane ticket and went down and lived with this Muslim family um, for, for about a month. And, um, I didn't know really anything about uh, Muslims. I was very ignorant um, about Islam. And so it was really my first, like personal, like firsthand uh, exposure to them and living in very impoverished, you know, uh, context there. And I can just remember sitting and journaling every day. I was watching them pray, you know, these five prayers a day. And I would sit mm. there and I would just journal and observe. Uh, more from a cultural perspective, I was just fascinated. Yeah. And you're, you're also comparing that to your own newfound experience. Exactly. Well, yeah. I had this experience where literally I just sensed one day such a strong, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was clearly, um, Chloe, what you have found in me, these people have never experienced. These people mm. don't know. These people have never heard. And it just began a very strong burden and call to carry the gospel message to the Muslim people. So that's mm. kind of where it started for me. And then Pierre came down and joined me um, during that West African trip. I was down there for about three months and he came mm. down and, and that's where God began calling him. Yeah, it's a, uh, for me, I, I often refer to my calling as a Abrahamic kind of calling. Uh, we went down to, uh, uh, to a Burkina Faso and, and international workers took us all around under their wing and showed us that their work, you know, their passion, their love for mm -hmm. people. We were going from villages to villages. And, and really at some point I, I could hear the, at, at that time I was actually working in a bank in Paris and uh, was really much trying to make a career and, and, and make a good life. And uh, I can vividly remember uh, hearing God speaking to me and saying, see what they're doing. They're doing it with passion and all they have. And mm -hmm. that's what I want you to do. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and often when Jesus calls people, uh, he's, he's asking, you know, carry the cross and to give it all. And so, and that's the type of, of calling that, you know, since we've been uh, in ministry, that is the Lord is keeping, uh, keep, keeping, uh, keep us 
going back to um, and, uh, and, and very strong, very strong. Yeah. Going. And that's, that's really a good uh, encouragement. And, you know, there might be people who need to hear that uh, in, in this podcast that, uh, uh, you know, discouragements, uh, years removed from that first fresh, exciting experience. Uh, there's been events, uh, discouragement, and uh, and it's connected, I think, what the Ephesians Church was was admonished to remember their first love, and and I think with that is that you know the first love is is what well Jesus, I'll do anything for you. I'll go wherever you want me to go, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I know we'll circle back to that because you you both ended up having some very hard experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you again a, a call to ministry again jumping ahead a little bit here. You came to the move to the states and you prepared for ministry in a uh, a, a Christian college context, didn't you? Yeah, we both uh, did our masters um, at a seminary, so a three-year program in preparation for that. And I can remember there was one one professor, a missions professor in particular, who taught us, you know, a course on world religions. And I just remember him taking us down, you know, to um, to a to a mosque, you know, down in, in New York City. And uh, it was just a profound experience uh-huh. as we were able to really interact with uh, Muslims. And so that just continued to kind of confirm that call specifically to those people. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a part of the preparation. Um, they took us, uh, the, the co- this couple um, took on a, us under their wings and we had like a, a discipleship group outside of just the academic and the classes really to help us, you know, and answer our questions as we were uh, looking at going to, uh, to ministry overseas and, and coming back to the calling. He's the one that really told us is that, you know, when you go on the field and things get tough that you want to quit, there's only one thing that will make sure, I mean, in your heart that will, you know that you've been called by God and it's your calling that you know you've been called by God to be there. And so uh, that has been uh, ingrained in our minds and Mm. it it still remains since, you know, there. 20 20 some years later. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So you, what, what you, you moved from there to Africa, didn't you? Uh, North Africa. What, uh, or did you go back to to France? Yeah, before to uh, to go to uh, overseas ministry with our organization, they ask us to do kind of what they call a, a home assignment. Okay. So um, and a home service, and um, we end up actually uh, going to Paris uh-huh. to uh, be the pastoral couple for for church there, very much That's international, right. mm-hmm. and still in that setting, even though we were in France in Paris, the Lord continued to confirm our calling to Muslim ministry. That mm. was an amazing thing because uh, to be honest with you, when we, uh, the Lord opened the door for us to go uh, to France to minister there, we thought, Lord, this is not a Muslim context. Mm. Why mm. are you sending us? And little by little, <clears throat> you know, it's planned unfold unfolded okay well and what happened next you yeah and then after there. three years yeah we went uh, into right. north africa where we served for seven years okay okay well that that's where um uh, things got hard i i know that it was a fruitful ministry you were there in a in a context of uh, a business Uh, But obviously the real purpose was to, uh, to, you know, reach people with the gospel. Tell us a little bit about what that ministry was like, and then let's jump right into what happened as, as 
cautiously, carefully, comfortably as you want to, mm -hmm. to tell that story? Um, I think it was um, out of a burn to really see from our organization and from us to see people that don't have access to the gospel. Uh, and in this particular setting was because the country would not allow any international workers to have yeah. visas to be able it to get a, it. It was a closed country. or It was a closed country, yeah. yeah. Sometimes we call it creative access or creative whatever access. the term we use. Um, and, and a burden that the gospel, you know, we, we want every uh, tribe and every nation and every language to be exposed to the gospel and have access to the gospel. So I remember the... Uh, you know, kind of the uh, the challenge of our leaders of taking uh, uh, faith risk field, you know, uh, and and working mm. into uh, faith risk uh, uh, endeavors, and that that was one. And so we knew that as we were um, going to that country, that they were, you know, that if you know the government would would not be happy with us sharing our faith. Um, uh, some uh, some drastic things could happen uh, to us. So we knew that. And so we uh, went to that North African country uh, on the business visa. And obviously our desire was to be, uh, you know, a witness for Jesus um, and doing a real job, uh, you know, and uh, uh, working in a company uh, and mingling with people there um, and praying for the Lord to open doors for spiritual conversation, which was uh, which was an interesting uh, an interesting thing that we came across with is that being from France, where it's a free country where you can you know theoretically share your faith and nobody's going to report you anything, um, and going to a, a close country but a Muslim country, it was easier to have God conversation or have spiritual conversation in that Muslim country than it was in France. Because, because of the secular, yes, they were, mm -hmm. because we had the God understanding, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a common ground that we mm -hmm. can talk about. In France, people, you know, 60% of the people don't believe that God exists. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's not a, as easy to get into conversation that I will bring to uh, some spiritual subjects. And I was uh, teaching English and just spending time with women. I always say, if you want to go into Muslim ministry, you have to like mint tea and just sitting and talking and uh, telling stories, hearing stories, because that's really just what it is. And so it was just spending time building um, relationships and friendships with people that would be these uh, bridges that would be strong enough to support the weight of Jesus and the weight of the gospel. And so mm -hmm. we just spent a lot of time with people and absolutely loved it. We loved everything about our life uh, there in North Africa. We actually envisioned um, just living our entire lives there. We even talked about retiring there. I mean, we just mm -hmm. truly had um, a deep love for that land and the those people. They were just precious uh, to us. So, um, yeah, just uh, seven years of just a wonderful life. Our kids uh, grew up there and um, most of their formative years, at least for our older older kids. And so um, it was just really, it was home for us there. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what uh, what happened that 
that changed all that. Again, I love the fact that, uh, you know, it was, it was a, a fruitful in the sense of connecting with a lot of people, the hope that this would be a long-term ministry, uh, but always knowing the reality that this is a closed country and things could change. Uh, how, how did it change? Yeah, um, yeah, fruitful. I, I would just just make the comment um, that uh, fruitful in in building relationships, planting sure, yes. a lot of seeds. But yeah, we we only saw really a handful of friends personally come and embrace Christ during mm. those those seven years. Um, but one of them was was a little boy um, who was twelve at the time we left, and he was our oldest son's best friend from age five until 12 when we left. And from kindergarten age, I can remember our son coming home and, and telling us that um, his, his friend, I'll call, him, I'll call him Oscar just to protect his identity, but he'd say, Oscar is asking me about Jesus and what is a Christian and what's the Bible. So this little boy was just really seeking from a very early age. And so our mm. son, just in his innocence, he shared um, his faith, you know, as he could and, and his belief just through conversation and through natural friendship with this boy. And this continued, you know, throughout our seven years there. And at one point our son really desired to give his best friend um, a Bible. So we actually gave it, I gave it to his mother. Uh, his parents were very good friends of ours. She was a student mm -hmm. in my English classes. We would go on family vacation together. I mean, just really close friends. And so I gave it to her just to make sure that um, it was something to be passed on and she passed it on. Um, and he began reading that Bible and just devouring it, really wanting to know Christ. And his father um, was not happy with that. A very strong, strict uh, Muslim took the Bible away, hid it from him. But this little boy, Oscar, he was just determined to find that Bible. He knew that his father would not have burned it, but he um, found it in his father's toolbox and he would just secretly read it in his bedroom. Um, he would express at school that he wanted to know God. He would read the, he, he would take his Bible and read it secretly at, at school and his friends would gather around him and mock him. So this little boy, he was just really searching. And um, at age 12, so this was just a few weeks before we, we ended up leaving the country, um, Oscar began to have a series of dreams and visions, which is very common in Arab culture. Dreams are very important to the Muslim people. And it seems that every Muslim we've seen come to Christ or any story we've heard, there's been a dream or vision of Jesus, the man in white, at some mm -hmm. point in that spiritual journey. And so this little boy, Oscar, he began to see Jesus. And Jesus began wow. to reveal himself very powerfully. He came to our son one day at school and said, I have to tell my dad that I am a Christian. I, it's not that I just am thinking about this, but I, I'm following Jesus. Wow. Um, this little boy had actually gone to his dad a couple of months before and asked him what would happen to him if he decided he wanted to be a Christian. And his dad said, you will no longer be my son. You will no longer be a part of my family. In spite of that, this little boy continued to search. And so at this point, after these dreams, he said, I've got to tell my dad. And he did. And that was the last time our son saw Oscar. He was taken out of school immediately. And um, that began quite, uh, oh, quite a messy situation there at the school. Um, his parents knew people um, high up, family members in the royal court and uh, judges and, and, and people there in the king's court. So it began kind of a lawsuit and um, a whole 
a whole shebang, as I would say, um, against the school, which led to led yeah. to, to some exposure and our exposure. It was a time when the government were starting to be aware of, uh, you know, Christian witnessing activity in their country, and had decided to um, actually uh, purge the country from any uh, of you know Christian workers that were there. Um, and so that, that happened. There were waves of waves of uh, Christian workers that were either expelled uh, from the country or would um, actually travel outside of the country and would not be allowed to re-entry uh, the country. So uh, it was part of this, of this wave. Uh, yeah. you because know, of the suspicions, perhaps, that they, they are there for other right. reasons. And what they say, right? Okay. Yeah. So they've been tracking your company and others, perhaps, and right. maybe yes. had concerns, but were more, perhaps, right. forgiving initially. Yeah, right. until it became personal and someone mm-hmm. did something about it. Yeah, yeah, you know, here we are talking about the cost of the gospel for people like you, but nothing compared to what someone like Oscar mm-hmm. experienced. You know, and 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 others sure. in those countries where they know if they come to right. faith, it's gonna it's going to cost uh, their family. It's going to, yeah, in many cases, right. their lives. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how much time did you have to leave? Well, it kind of built up over a couple of weeks. Um, you think actually, something was coming. Yeah, yeah. I knew something was very serious. The day after Oscar was removed out of school, um, he called me one afternoon, and he said, Are you okay? Chloe. And I said, yes, Oscar, are you okay? And he said, I'm calling to tell you that they're kicking Christians out all over the country. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you. Mm. And then he hung up. Things just started. There were a lot of like magazine, newspaper articles. There were websites set up exposing people, you know, kind of all over the place. Police were just showing up at everyone's doors, giving them you know, 48 hours to, to pack up and leave. So we were kind of expecting, um, because of what was going on with Oscar and the school, we were expecting that we could have someone any day um, show up. And we would, you know, it was times where you would, you know, you'd see a van or something show up in front of the house and you'd, you know, see it from the window. And we'd, we'd had to prepare the kids. It was one of those things where you didn't know how much to share. We had we had kids at that point who were 12, 10, and 5, and just trying to know how much do you share with them to prepare them um, for what's coming, and how much do you protect them and just, you know, spare them <laughs> from from any more trauma. But we did need to let them know that at some point, you know, the police could show up, but that they would be safe. We'd arranged with, with neighbors and friends, a, another uh, missionary family down the street, that they would care for them if the police did come to the door and, and took us in for interrogation. A so, couple of days before we... Um uh, we left the country. Uh, we noticed that there was uh, uh, a gentleman in civilian clothes that was being posted basically at the corner of our house and our neighbors knew about it and we knew about it. So mm-hmm. we knew that there was something. And, and you know, to be fair to, also to the government, the, the government really doesn't want any dramatic thing to happen. So it was, I think, a way to observe us, but also to protect us uh, mm, from any arm or anything mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, yeah uh, it could have escalated into something. Yeah, all of the newspaper, right. all of the newspaper and magazine articles that were out, kind of exposing the whole missionary mm-hmm. community. Um, they were referring to us as evangelical terrorists. 
Wow. So just having that term out, mm-hmm. you know, was, was putting the entire missionary right. community um, in danger. And we, we were followed. I was teaching at the community center right there in our little village. And so, you know, he would get in the car, follow me, stay, you know, just, you know, stay outside while I was teaching and then follow me back. So it became, it became pretty, pretty tense obvious. and pretty obvious. Um, there was, you know, we had never felt any fear living in that country for those seven years, but things were starting to be quite tense where we were concerned. There was a, a family picture that they found of us that was exposed. So, yeah. Um, they had found a, a family picture uh, where, you know, we were all exposed, but specifically our son and, and his, um, you know, friendship with this little boy, Oscar. So at that point, the mission, we were in contact with our mission leaders and, and they were very concerned for our safety. We were starting to be concerned for our safety as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just said, we, we've got to pull you out. We've got to pull you out because we're afraid that something could happen mm-hmm. to you and the kids. Okay. So that's where the difficult conversation started and reality started to set in that um, we were not going to be spending um, the rest of our lives in yeah. this country. And there were, there were up to how many expulsions as a result? Of oh. Oh, we, we don't Hundreds. have the specific statistic, but they were talking about 200, 250 mm-hmm. yeah. workers being expelled yeah. or, or not allowed to reenter the country. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, in a very real sense, that's trauma. You know, what you went through. Mm-hmm what your what your children went through, particularly your son. Did your son struggle with this for some time? I mean, knowing that. Oh, very is- much so. And in God's sovereignty and the mystery of God's sovereignty that we will never understand until maybe we're face to face and can ask the question. But the day of our evacuation, which was very traumatic for our family, an overnight evacuation, um, it was our son's 12th birthday. So the wow. one who was best mm. friends with Oscar. And that began, I think, a journey for him of really questioning the goodness, the faithfulness of God, the love of God, of how he could allow something like this, how, you know, him stepping out and in obedience, even our whole family, but him specifically in obedience and sharing his faith with, a, with his best friend. Um, could lead to such uh, tragic consequences. So it mm. really took him on a journey that he's still on. Of uh, mm. yeah, you you talk about the uh, the traumatic aspect of of this uh, experience. As one of the the, the symbol I, I keep in my mind, and it's one of those uh, things that uh, you know it brings you great humility when you see Jesus how he was humiliated on the cross. Yeah. Um, is that the, the day that we decided to leave, we had um, some of our neighbors, one particular family, that good friend of ours, actually, um, uh, you know, they, usually in the morning, that's when the, uh, the, the, the truck for garbage come to collect garbage. And uh, one of our neighbor had come and poured their garbage in front of our uh, doorstep which was a symbol of Crazy. obviously we were not welcome anymore. And wow. that, wow. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's one of the thing you, you know, you, you, we went to the country, loved the people, we loved them. And it's one of those things, you know, just to remind ourselves what Jesus said on the cross that do not, you know, take, keep that against them because they yeah. do not know what mm-hmm. they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but it's part of it. It's yeah. part of the emotional and psychological, maybe uh, 
uh, grieving that we had to go through as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the the, the mystery. I mean, I, I I love how we started with with your coming to Christ through Scripture, and it was the giving of Scripture to somebody yeah. that was costly. Yeah. And it reminds us of the, the, the power of the Word of God, the power yeah. of the message of Jesus and, and right. what he has come to do for us. And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, I would like to circle back to something that's intriguing to me here, how that, uh, you know, he, the, Oscar knew his father would not destroy the Bible. That comes obviously out of a deep reverence for their own scriptures. Mm-hmm. But that was, that was transferred to apparently reverence for the Christian scriptures. Um, which means that that Bible is still somewhere and just in the way you each found Christ through the Holy mm-hmm. Word, uh, actually a book, um, you know, who, who knows that uh, maybe we'll right. find out in glory that, uh, mm-hmm. that, I mean, there's so much mystery and hiddenness to all of this and we have to just rely completely on God's sovereignty to not to make sense of it, but to, not lose our sanity, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to 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 lean on Christ, to trust Him. Maybe that's the word that. Yeah. I'm right. Yeah. yeah. As we as we came out of North Africa, um, you you know, we were all in shell shock, really, and trying to figure out what in the world just happened. What is God doing? Sure. And um, we really clung to uh, you know Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and just put that you know daily on our family table that you know. He knows. God knows the plans yeah. He has for us. Um, they're good plans. They do not look good. They yeah. look terrible, and they certainly. And, and remember the context of that verse is the people of Israel yes. in captivity. Yes. You know, we yes. tend to take it as a cookie fortune type right. of promise, but the context is dark and painful. And yeah, mm-hmm. dark and painful. Yeah. Um, but somehow these plans are for our good and they're not to hurt us, even though they're hurting terribly right now, you know, yeah, through, yeah. through it, but somehow God is going to use this. And so we clung, we clung to that. Um, but it was a real crisis of faith, uh, for all of us, especially for our two, you know, adolescent kind of preteen. Um, yeah. Yeah. And they've hearing. had, they've had years to process. You have had years to process as a family. And I meant fortune cookie, not cookie fortune. I just realized <laughs> that, that, that just caught up with me. Um, but yeah, and, and you all have had, uh, you know, years to process. You've had other hard experiences. In fact, you're, 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 uh, you know, in transition now, but as you, as you look back over that, how do you sum it up? I mean, what, what is, where's your faith? Uh, where's your burden? What has this done for, uh, you know, what started as a fresh launching to, uh, you know, to change the world, to reach the Muslim people, where are you at? How can we pray for you? Hmm. Because there are, there are many like you, you know, who look back well, over your, I, I, I have to say that, uh, this this experience and I'm still reflecting right now as I'm contemplating uh, the, you know my Christian walk and my calling and the the the, the subject of um, walking with God in pain and suffering you know how do we integrate that into mm. what He has called us um, and that uh, you know He's using those difficult moments to teach. Um, great thing about himself about about himself and how we can um basically adjust our life to that um and and to really align our lives to what the lord wants us uh, to do um you know it's 
it, it has been conforming the fact that we, we're in a spiritual battle. We are, we are you know, the, the Muslim people have been living in darkness and, mm. and uh, mm. a, a light has dawned as, uh, as Isaiah 9-2 is saying. And, and uh, we still need to be the carrier of that light to the to the muslim people um and and we are we're so encouraged because there's still um in those dark country in those dark uh settings there are people that are coming to the lord and and the lord is is prevailing he's showing himself through through dreams and visions and he's using the word and he's using uh people like us and others to still go after the one that he loved that are lost and that has never is never going to stop until you know we mm. you know that it's time for yeah. to come yeah. back. So that that gives us hope. That mm. gives us hope. And uh, uh, no matter what what our circumstances and what happens to us, and 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 we know that He wants to to help us grow in our faith through that. Yeah. It's not yeah. easy all the time, and it doesn't always make sense. But um, He's at work. That's that's what's really yeah, and and this is a story that doesn't have a happy ending because we haven't reached the ending. You know, I mean, the ending is the return of Christ. He he will glorify himself. He will vindicate himself. He will justify himself and uh, never have to explain himself. And to to live with a high view of the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. especially in this kind of uncertainty, discouragement, uh, I think is what ultimately we will worship out of. Uh, not that we can look at our life and say, uh, "Hey, we we hit a home run," you know, or we uh, we we changed the world. I mean, it's not. And I, one of the things I've noticed is I've uh, the longer I was in ministry, uh, the less impressed I was with myself. You know that I that I'm I'm not the one to change the world. I'm called to be faithful with what's been put in front of me, and uh, I've been asked to keep trusting Him when it doesn't make sense. And, um, and there could be some encouragement to you both knowing that your story I know will be an encouragement to, uh, to those who listen to this. And, uh, I'll I'll be asking people to be, you know, to be praying for you as well as many, many others who are going through, you know, these, these kind of battles and they're trying to reach people out of love for Jesus. You're, you're longing to see people who don't know Jesus to discover what you have, and uh, it's not it's it's not easy. You could have chosen a much easier life, uh, but you did not. So just want to just want to encourage you uh, with that. Well, we need to wrap up. Any anything final that uh, you want to say here? To well, I just keep coming keeps coming to mind just the whole idea of redemption that God mm. does redeem the hard times in our lives, and you know, coming out of North Africa, we wondered what in the world is God doing, but um, that very difficult circumstance, that kind of exodus out of North Africa is what kind of propelled us back to France Mm -hmm. um, to work among Muslims there and the diaspora work. And um, if we hadn't left North Africa, I wish it could have been easier circumstances, Mm -hmm. but we maybe never would have um, gone back to France and allowed gospel access to those there who have never heard. And so I just trust that even though we're, you know, going through another time of transition right now, a lot of questions and confusion, 
that, uh, that there is redemption ahead uh, for this, that there is a purpose, that God does have a purpose in our, in our pain and suffering. So. And, and I know that that message will encourage people who are, are going through what, what to them is the hardest thing that they possibly have gone through. And, and just, again, there's a, there's a, a common thread here, and that, uh, that is that God is good, he's sovereign, and he redeems for his own purposes, and we don't always understand what that looks like or what that is. So, uh, Pierre and Chloe, thank you so much for a great story, telling it so well. Uh, appreciate both of you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you Mitch. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any comments or questions, you can email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And again, our website is www.beforeyouquit.us. Check out up to 39 podcasts and also bunches of blogs that I've written related to the challenges of ministry. And uh, so love for you to, to check that out. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged.